The scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on the donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's it. Yes, that's it. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Kimberly. Great job. By the way, I feel like I've been slandered. Um, Jerry said that I love chaos. This is not true. Chaos is bad. Rachel said it. Okay. I believe compared to the perfections of God, everything that we do is chaotic. So I kind of went, people trying to be non-chaotic to me is sort of a little bit blasphemous. So here's my saying, and this is really the saying for our church. Embracing the chaos, striving for excellence. That's what we try to do. We don't love chaos. We strive for God's excellence, but we recognize that the world is chaotic without him. All right? Good. Just picture me like cutting cables and booby-trapping things. That's not me. All right, Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday today. As you've heard, you hopefully were given a palm as you came in. Palm Sunday, traditionally in the Christian church, is the time of preparation. It's the beginning of the week of Easter as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the center of Christian faith, Easter. Christmas is great fun. It is filled with presents and cute babies. But the core of Christianity is the fact that on the cross, Jesus Christ triumphed over death. And he was resurrected. That is, he triumphed over the grave and he returned glorified to his Father, showing us, Christians, that if we follow him, we will be taken to the Father also. That's Easter. And so this time of preparation is a good time to reflect on the implications of the reality of the resurrection, of the reality of our future. Do we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we really believe he triumphed over death? What does it mean to you and to me personally? How should it change how we live, how we treat each other? What does it tell us about the Christian life and the church? What does it mean to live a good Christian life? What are the implications? That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And so, um, as some of you have heard, after this uh, service, we're going to have a discussion about exactly that. We have a forum on Christian peace in the middle of crazy politics. That will be after the service.
And this sermon, I hope, is a preparation for that discussion. You'll see why I chose this Sunday um, as we go through this passage. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. So this passage, taken from Matthew, uh, is telling us the story of Jesus on his journey to the cross. As they approached, this is the twelve disciples plus Jesus, and they're coming to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. They have gone up the mountain to Jerusalem. At the base uh, close to the Jordan River, River is a town called Bethany. And that is where Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the death. And actually, he spent a night there with his disciples, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, before they climbed the mountain to Jerusalem. And so as you get to the top of the road up towards Jerusalem, you get to Bethpage, which is a ridge and the Mount of Olives, and you get your first glimpse of Jerusalem. They would have gone off early, and it would have looked beautiful, golden in the dawn. The, the wall stones uh, were golden. And so Jesus has climbed from this place of death at the bottom of the mountain, and he is now going up to the city of God, to Jerusalem. It was the city of God. In Israel, it is where God and man met, at the very center of Jerusalem was the temple. And there, in the holiest of holies, was, a, was God's presence. There was the covenant, and above the uh, Ark of the Covenant was um, the Shekinah glory of God. His presence, his holy presence, to his people, the people of Israel. But it was not only the center of God's glory, it was also the center of Israel's glory. This was the city that had been um, created and his son Solomon built it, but David conceived this as the center of worship. He was the one that brought the ark there. And he, the great warrior king of Israel, was the one associated with Jerusalem. He had fought off, off Israel's enemies and he had established Israel as a nation. He, the great warrior king, um, his palace was right there in Jerusalem. And so in the um, Israelite imagination, in the Hebrew imagination, this was the center of power, God's presence, and the center of their power, their kings, their glory. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Jesus knows exactly what is happening. You know, there's a, there's a terrible hymn sometimes we sing, which I never liked, and it talks about Jesus as the mighty victim from the sky. That's a horrible line. Jesus was no victim. Jesus knowingly went to Jerusalem. Deliberately and purposefully, he went to the cross. There was no accident. And this passage shows us that things are unfolding exactly as Jesus wants them to. He is no victim. 
There are no accidents. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of the donkey. This is a quote from Zechariah in the Old Testament. This was written 500 years earlier. 500 years. Was looking forward, Zechariah, and seeing these events. There is a pattern. There is a shape. There is a direction to history. God is on his throne. And history is unfolding exactly as it should and as he wants. And here Jesus is showing us that things that he is part of are not out of control, even the death on a cross. It's like you've got these gr this great mechanism of history that is unfolding, that is grinding forward, but it is not out of God's control. And although Jesus is going into the belly of the beast, he's going to be uh, arrested and scourged and crucified. He's going to put himself into the Romans' hands he is not doing it uh, blindly. Jesus is not a victim. He is a hero. He knew the cost. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. And he boldly strode forward, climbed that mountain, went to that cross deliberately. No mistakes. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and place their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. When he began his ministry, he, his very first words were, Repent, the kingdom of God is here. And he himself was that king returning. But he is revealing a different kind of king. Typically, a warrior king, David, he would have returned to Jerusalem, his home, on a chariot or on a war horse at the head of an army. But Jesus shows that he's a different kind of king. He doesn't come on a war horse. He doesn't come at the head of an army. He comes on a donkey. He's a man of peace. He's a simple traveler. Jesus did not come into the world to fight with people to destroy people, to hunt down the bad guys and kill them. He came to save people. That's why he is a savior. He came not to fight against man and human beings. He came to fight against death. Death, not people, that was Jesus' um, mission, and that was Jesus' goal. And we should bear that in mind when we think about the cross. Verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. A very large crowd. Why did a crowd show up for Jesus? Well, if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus traveled for three years around Galilee, around Israel. It's a very small country, if you've ever been to Israel. It's only, uh, I think, 30 miles across at its narrowest point. It's a tiny place. There would have been a few hundred thousand people living there. And in three years, Jesus would have gone to most places. 
He walked from village to village, healing people, teaching. Everybody would have known him. I mean, Hoboken's got, what, 40,000 people? Imagine somebody was healing people in Church Square Park. How long do you think it would have taken for everybody in Hoboken to know that was happening? Probably half a day. Jesus traveled for three years, and everywhere he went, death was dismissed. People were healed. One uh, commentator said that by the end of those three years, death and disease would probably have been largely absent from Israel. And of course, at the bottom of the mountain, where every one of the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem would have had to pass through, was Bethany, where Lazarus was a demonstration to anyone who passed that a man had been raised from the death. So Jesus had a reputation. They were waiting for him. They knew about his power. They knew about what he had done. And so when they hear that he's coming up the hill, when he's coming to Jerusalem, they come out to see this phenomena. They come out to see this extraordinary person, the one who has demonstrated power over death and illness. They spread their cloaks on the road. This was a symbol of victory. This is what you did when your king returned from battle, having defeated your enemies. This was a way of welcoming a hero home. While others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We know from uh, the other Gospels that these were palm branches. Why palm branches? Well, the branches, palm branches were a symbol of the goddess Nike, the Roman goddess of military victory. And so this is how people celebrated Roman victories. When the uh, uh, conqueror came, returned to the head of the legions, people took out palm trees and waved as a, a way of symbolizing victory, military victory, as a way of acknowledging their hero's triumph. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is the Hebrew word for save. And when shouted out, it has sort of a mixed meaning. It can, it can mean save me or save him or save your, save us. God is our savior. It's a, it's a word associated with God's salvific purpose. And they're shouting it at Jesus. To the son of David, Israel's greatest warrior. They are acknowledging the return of a warrior hero, a messianic warrior. Because blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a direct quote from Psalm 118. A messianic psalm which celebrates the Messiah that God will send to save Israel. So what do you have here? You have a whole city celebrating the return of the king. They're seeing Jesus as a king, but a different kind of king from the one he really is. Jerusalem, like all of Israel, is under Roman oppression. There were Roman garrisons everywhere. They were a colony of Rome. They had a governor appointed by Rome. 
And so this was a country under oppression. And when they see this messianic king, this warrior from God, as they suppose, coming up to Jerusalem, what do they think? Finally, God is going to save us. Finally, God is going to drive out the oppressor. Finally, God is going to fight the Romans because we can't fight the Romans. That's what they think. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And I'm going to end it there. What is this story about? It is a story of how God's own people, the chosen people of Israel, can completely misunderstand the one that he sent, Jesus as Messiah. His disciples, by the way, were equally clueless and got this equally wrong. They thought that God would send a Messiah to solve their problems. And they thought they knew what their problems were, the Romans. But God had other plans. And Jesus had other plans. Now, I chose this passage because right now, we've got a problem. And I'm making a transition now from the, the sermon to what we're going to do this morning. America is going through a particularly polarized political period. You know that. And as uh, mainly American citizens here, um, you and I are properly engaged and involved in politics to some extent. If only in conversations, but some in terms of political events and marches and protests and goodness knows what. And that's all proper. That's what American citizens are meant to do. This is a republic after all. But there's a problem. The problem is, primarily as a result of social media, we have been upsetting each other. We have been posting things that imply or suggest that people who disagree with our political position are somehow not Christian, or are hypocrites, or are somehow failing in their Christian duty. We are equating Christianity with one or other side of the political debates and the parties and the divisions of our time. That's a problem. You know, my I'm a pastor. Pastor is... Uh, taken from the metaphor of a shepherd, pastoral. What does a shepherd do? Shepherd makes sure that the flock is by the still water, safe, and the good grass is fed, which in spiritual terms means the word of God. But also that the flock is protected from outside attack, the wolves, but also internal dissension, which would scatter the flock. And so... Uh, I see it as my responsibility to bring this issue to you as a church because it's starting to divide us. And as I've talked to you, and there have been several meetings, I've learned that one of the biggest problems is that some of you, perhaps many of you, are afraid. You're afraid that taking one side or the other of the political debates of our time is going to leave you open to rejection or judgment or alienation. 
that if you speak about things that you're actually very passionate about, that's, that's going to alienate people who disagree with you. Now, of course, some of you are shameless and you just post whatever you want and uh, don't care what anybody says. But most of you, that is not true. So what are we going to do about it? Well, what we're going to do about it is we're going to have a meeting. The Lord's table is here, but we're not going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of this service. What we're going to do is end the service. We're going to feed our children, and then we're going to form a circle around the Lord's table right there. And we are going to discuss together how we continue to love each other at a time of political division and polarization. And afterwards, together, those that are still here, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Because in my direct experience, it is impossible to hate someone you go to the table with. And then, and this was Rob and Wall's suggestion, we're going to sing one in the spirit together. We're after unity. That's the goal of today. And I just want to point out before we finish the lesson of Palm Sunday. The crowds in Jerusalem were convinced that Jesus, the Messiah that they acknowledged, was going to fight the political fight that was clearly and obviously most important to them. Roman occupation. I mean, what else could he be coming for? And they were completely wrong. Why? Because they did not have a large enough perspective. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, all people. And he came to fight death, the enemy of all people in all times and places. Their perspective was not big enough. So they just saw what was a huge problem in their life and they assumed that meant it was the big problem in God. Now don't think that we're any different. If modern people were back there, surely we'd have said to Jesus, you need to fight the vast slave trade that flourishes in the Roman Empire, or Romans' policy of um, colonization, or their expansive militarism, or their treatment of women. We would have come up with a whole series of our concerns, and we would have imposed it on that society and said, these are the problems. And Jesus did not do any of those things. He did not fight any of those fights. Why? Because he wasn't here to fight people. From God's perspective, we are all wrong. We are all lost. We are all entrenched in our sin. And every single one of us needs to be saved. Not just from the problems of the world, but from ourselves. From God's perspective, everything is broken. That's why Jesus Christ left his church in the world. He fought the fight that we cannot fight, but he also left his church so that Christians, together, would be part of redeeming the world, addressing the problems of the world. We should be extremely careful and humble about saying that we know what Jesus would do in any given situation. 
But at the same time, we are all called, we all have a free conscience to address the problems of the world. And so we need to keep those two things in balance. And that is what I hope our discussion is going to be about. So I'll, I'll go into this more with those of you who are going to stay for this meeting. But the basic idea is Jesus is Lord. That is our primary commitment. That commitment and that identity trumps every other commitment and identity. That's more important than our politics. It's more important than our nationality or our, or our race or our ethnic background. It is more important than any other commitment in our life. And it's what unites us. Because Jesus is our Lord, we are family. This is his family, and we are brothers and sisters. And that's forever. However, we are called by God into his church to be his presence in the world, to minister to the ills of the world, to follow our private and personal calls and commitments. We should not be binding each other's conscience and telling each other what they must be to be a true Christian. There are some things that are obvious in the Bible, the Ten Commandments. But beyond that, we should be very careful about telling somebody, because you believe that, you're not a Christian. You should be doing this. And we, as a church, are not going to take positions. We're not here to decide who's got the best politics. We're here to affirm our primary commitment and to say to each other, I love you. And no matter what you do or think, I will still love you. You don't have to be afraid of rejection. You don't have to be afraid that I'm going to label you or slander you or devalue your life. James said this, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law, he's talking about the law of God, and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's how we're going to think about each other. So I'm going to close this with prayer right now. We're going to sing a final song, and then I'll explain to you what's going to happen next. And those of you who are waiting for the Lord's Supper, you're going to have to go through this discussion. Let's pray together right now. Lord, you are Lord. You are my Lord. You are our Lord. And because of you, we are family. Uh, an identity that we can never lose. An identity that's going to last forever. Lord, help us as your family, as your church, as brothers and sisters to be united even as our nation is divided. And Lord, show us how to be gracious to each other. Show us how to live out the passions that we have for issues in the world without breaking our relationships with each other. Lord, uh, you are the great unifier. You are the great counselor. You are the peacemaker. And we ask for your peace now. In Jesus' name, amen.